And welcome to this edition of the Big Blue in the Bronx podcast. Alex Savage back again. Happy holidays, everybody. Merry Christmas and whatever else you guys celebrate. Have a happy holidays. We're almost at the end of 2020. Thank God. Um, even though it's the year I started my podcast. But anyway, let's get to a couple of things. Top headlines, the judge's verdict. I'll get into that. Stock up, stock down. And then we're going to talk about more in depth. The Giants-Ravens game this weekend. Do they have a chance? Which players do we have to keep out for? Who's on the injury report? The stat station. I brought up some key stats regarding their defense. Probably one of the best in the league, coached-wise. And they're very physical. Keys to win. What do we need to do to win? And players to watch. Who to watch? So, basically, most of the same stuff every week. Just with a different team. But I will be adding, you know, some food coloring and mix into it. So, top headlines. Kyler Fackrell, he was designated from IR, and he's been working alongside with the trainers on the sideline, Devonta Freeman doing the same stuff, so um, just some overall thoughts on that, I don't really expect Freeman to come back, or he may come back, I have a mixed feeling on that, you know, it's mixed feelings for me, because Wayne Gallman, when he got the number one role, he's been doing great, unfortunately, Sometimes the offensive line is not blocking for him, um, or it's just lack of play calling when it comes to the run game. Like against Arizona, they didn't necessarily uh, stymie us in the run game, but we didn't go to it enough. Daniel Jones, you know, he was struggling. I guess they wanted to expose Daniel Jones more, see what he could do with that hamstring injury. He ended up, you know, uh, with that ankle injury. So, again, it's been a rough road for Gallman, but I really don't think, in my opinion, that there's a reason to bring back Freeman. Yes, you know, he could be a hard-working player and all this other stuff, but I just don't think that he's worthy of coming back this season. It's a one-year thing. Giants are not making a playoff push, and, well, at least that's what I think, and um, this is a developing year, and you got to finish out the rest of the two games. If they would like to bring him back, I have no problem with it, but I just don't really see a reason for it. Now, Kyler Fackrell, on the other hand, it's a one-year prove-it deal. I don't see him back next year, possibly. I'm going to talk about a little bit of next year. But um, it's a sight to see that he's coming back. And we've been struggling as far as pressure the last two weeks. And it would be a nice addition to have Kyler Fackrell back on the edge-rushing side. You know, Carter Coughlin, Cam Brown, those guys are filling in for him. Jabal Shearer as well. But... Um, Everyone said in the beginning of the season, you know, the pass rush is going to be the weakest link. Well, it's really shown that way the last two games. And, you know, in different types of scenarios, we've talked about where the pass rush is bad and good. You know, the last two games hasn't been there. Couldn't tackle Kyler Murray. Couldn't pressure Baker Mayfield. And Baker Mayfield's not Kyler Murray. You know, he's not a mobile quarterback as you would consider maybe a Josh Allen or maybe you would consider a Kyler Murray. So um, I think the Giants really blew an opportunity there. But I do understand that they did have a couple of defensive backs out. So they had to rely on Julian Love. They had to rely on Isaac Yadam. Because, you know, obviously Bradbury and Holmes were out. So they had to rely on those guys. And they weren't confident as the defensive coaching staff. In my opinion, just my view, they weren't really confident with blitzing. And they only got three quarterback pressures and one quarterback hit, which ended up being the sack. So that's something the Giants will have to 
really focus on this week when it comes to Lamar Jackson and they're getting Bradbury back so I don't understand you know what the excuse would be for not pressuring I mean if we're really trademarking Darnay Holmes to be the greatest piece or one of the greater pieces on our defense right now you must be joking you know he's not the reason that the Giants have not been rushing the passer James Bradbury he held it up in the secondary all these games had a game without him they couldn't do anything Yes, we gave up only 20 points, but Baker Mayfield over 300 yards. They kept running a lot of zone. So those are just my overall thoughts on that. And let's move into something else before we go stock up, stock down. Like, the stock up, stock down, it's going to be like a minimal. I'm actually going to call it out by position this time. But overall, we'll get to it. Joe Judge's comments on Daniel Jones. Now, it was either yesterday, and I'm doing this on a Thursday, by the way. You know, I'm going to spend time with my family. On Friday, so I just you want to get this pre-recording stuff out today. I know I might be a little early or a little late, whatever, but um, Joe Judge was asked, do you think that Jones is the quarterback of the future, and do you think that you guys will be drafting a QB? You know, all this next year stuff, which I you know expected that a lot of beat reporters or more beat reporters or this question would be frequently asked, but this is like where the trademark sets in. Now, I don't know who asked it. I didn't see the press conference. But a lot of reporters seem to jump on that subject. And Joe Judge said, listen, Daniel Jones is our quarterback. I like his toughness. And he started complimenting him. Now, does that mean the Giants won't draft a quarterback in 2021 or 2022? No, that does not mean that. Because you've seen over the years, especially in the recent NFL, that a lot of head coaches praise their quarterbacks and then they go out and draft another quarterback prime example 2019 cliff kingsbury the arizona cardinal says listen josh rosen's our guy well where's josh rosen now he's on the 49ers skipped around to what three different teams since then i mean he was traded to the dolphins then they cut him put him on the practice squad then the bucks had him for a little bit and now he's with the 49ers so um i'm not saying don't trust Joe Judge. I'm not saying that at all. But my, you know, overall experience in sports media and just being a fan, they're not going to tell you the whole story. And I'm not talking about the media itself. I'm talking about the coaches. They're not going to tell you the stuff on the inside, what they actually think of, you know, Daniel Jones and all the guys in there. They could be saying to each other, Isaac Yadam sucks. They could be saying to each other, you know, Darnay Holmes, you know, this, that, and the other thing. They could be saying bad stuff to the coaches or surrounding coaches that we don't know about. They could be complaining. They could be saying, listen, you know, this guy's pissing us off. Or I don't know. They could be making comments and just laying out game plans and all that stuff. They're not going to tell you the full story. So, I love Joe Judge, and I want Daniel Jones to be our future. If he's not, then, again, just like the Gettleman subject, I will accept it. But, can't sit here and, you know, say Daniel Jones is the future because of this statement. Can't say that because a lot of people in the past and coaches have really, you know, said that. Then they've contradicted themselves with other moves. And, you know, going back to the statements they've made, it doesn't make any sense. So, again, just keep that eye on Joe Judge and Daniel Jones just, you know... Pretty much take it with a grain of salt. That's what I'm going to say about that. So stock up, stock down. Offensive line, they performed well. Um, I don't know 
the certain statistics, but they didn't like pressure the quarterback, meaning the Browns, all that badly. But in the last 30 seconds, Andrew Thomas gave up a sack to Miles Garrett, which I'm not necessarily, you know, it's a sack, yes, but I'm not necessarily, oh my God, Andrew Thomas gave a sack. No, because he stonewalled Miles Garrett the whole game. Yes, he had COVID, but at the same time, we have to just look at the rest of the game. Garrett had, what, two sacks against the Ravens? Or two sacks like a week ago or something like that. I think it was two sacks against the Ravens. But, you know, you come into this matchup, everybody's talking about how he's recovering from COVID, and Andrew Thomas completely stonewalls him. So you have to look at that. And I understand Miles Garrett's still recovering. But again, when you go from a two-sack week to a one-sack week against a rookie left tackle that's really been struggling this whole season, and he's had his ups and downs, you have to make a point about that and say, good job, Andrew Thomas. So if we stock down the pass rush in the secondary... Now, mind you, the defense as a whole, I would say they did okay, plausible. I think in that sort of situation that if we had a better offense, we would have been more competitive. And everybody's saying, you know, kick the field goals. Listen, I don't have a problem with people saying that, but would that have won us the game? No. Because, let's see, 20-6, to kick those two field goals, it's 20-12. to Still down by a score. And that's eight points. You have to make the two-point conversion, too. So we're not going to stop dead there and say, okay, kicking field goals was, you know, what needed to be done and, you know, going for it twice didn't work. Well, you know what? I get the first time. The second time, I agreed with it. But at the same time, again, this is a Browns team that's very good. And harping off of last week, field goals were not going to win us this game. And we had no touchdowns. Cole McCoy was the quarterback. The run game was stymied. I appreciate the aggressiveness, but that's last week. Pass rush in the secondary. Those two, and I've been saying this for years, ultimately work together. When you don't have a secondary, your pass rush has to work even harder to get to the quarterback, depending on how they're schemed and what they're told to do. If you don't have a pass rush, you have to cover better and cover longer. Make the secondary's job a little bit harder. James Bradbury and Darnay Holmes were out. Okay, They put Xavier McKinney in the slot. They moved Love down to outside cornerback. And you could tell there was a reliance. You could tell. Because, again, we only got to Baker three times as pressures. One time as a sack. And I get this offensive line was pretty damn good. You know, they did have Chris Hubbard leave the game and put in Nick Harris, who ended up giving up the sack. But still, just to at least pressure him, throw it away. His completion percentage was pretty good. And again, those two work together. And that's where you come out with a lot of zone. So pass rush, secondary, I don't know if they were told, listen, we're not going to blitz the quarterback a lot because that would rely on the secondary. We don't have a lot of valuable or at least pieces that are going to give us what James Bradbury and Darnay Holmes did. I don't know. But those two really didn't play the best like they have been all season. Just going to say that right now. So for the injury report, here's the Giants as of today. This was around 4.31 p.m. Obviously, today's Christmas Eve. Golden Tate did not practice with calf injury. Darnay Holmes limited with a knee injury, which is an improvement because the last couple of days he's not been practicing 
and he wasn't practicing going back to the week of the Browns game. So that is key for Darnay Holmes. And I have a statement, you know, just regarding him after I come out with the Giants injury report to kind of, you know, say something about Tate and Holmes. But also Daniel Jones, hamstring and ankle injury. They're going to hype up the practices, uh, I think, tomorrow on Christmas Day or either or they were hyping it up today because, you know, just trying to get him game ready. And my thing is, look, you know, we're not necessarily focused on making a playoff push. I know the coaches aren't the players, you know, they might be, but they're also concerned about how their team is progressing. That's just a fan thing. And I would love for this team to make the playoffs, trust me. But I don't think they're worried about that. Just telling you the God's honest truth. And listen, Colt McCoy has been getting more games in right now than he has probably in the last couple of years. Two games, uh, half the game in Cincinnati. So, is it actually worth rushing Daniel Jones back? And I trust this coaching staff and this training staff enough to say, hey, listen, Daniel Jones is able to do this. He's able to start. I trust them. But I just don't want it to be where, you know, he's limping in the middle of the game, it comes back, reaggravates the injury, and now we got Cole McCoy in the game, and now our chances went like this. And also, Evan Ingram and Matt Parrott fully participated in practice. So, what I was going to say about Golden Tate and Darnay Holmes, and Tate hasn't practiced in a couple of days, to my understanding. And if he doesn't play this Sunday, is it worth playing him for the game against the Cowboys, is the real question. Now, this is not because, oh, you don't like Golden Tate because this is going back to the incident with him and Daniel Jones. No. Same thing with Darnay Holmes. And now Darnay Holmes is limited, which I said was progress. But if he wasn't practicing, is there really a point to just say, ah, we'll force him into next week's game? Is there a point just to not put him on IR? I don't know. An interesting decision for the Giants. It really is. And hopefully Tate gets better. Hopefully everybody gets better. Hopefully this team gets better. But just saying is a statement right now. If there's no progression or if there's a regression in Darnie Holmes' injury, or if Tate doesn't practice partly next week, you might as well send those two to IR. Because we have two guys and Freeman and Fackrell waiting for roster spots. My point there. So for the Baltimore Ravens, their injury report is pretty, pretty bad. And I'm not saying, you know, they have their starting quarterback out, no. But these are some key players that they're going to need for Sunday. And I'm not saying, you know, we're this playoff team or they're going to be scared of us, no. But you would like to have your key players playing in games. I mean, I'm pretty sure they're still trying to get into a playoff spot. And I don't think they're winning the division. Because the Steelers lost the Bengals on Monday night, they have 11 wins. The Browns have 10 wins. So, if the Steelers lose to Indianapolis and the Browns win to the Jets, well, now they're in front. Quite possibly. I don't think that's the way right now, though. Because the Browns lost the Steelers the first time. But the way the Steelers are going right now, everything comes down to Week 17 and the Steelers are out of the division, but they go for a wild card spot. So, that's got to, you know, really impact how the Ravens play and what their motivation is for this weekend but back to the injury report 
Here are the people that did not practice. Marquise Brown, knee injury. Mark Ingram, non-injury, surprisingly. Marcus Peters, calf injury. He hasn't played in a couple of weeks, I think. Jimmy Smith, ribs and shoulder injury. And Brandon Williams, the defensive tackle, non-injury related. Limited, Des Bryant with a thigh injury. Kalias Campbell with calf injury. Anthony Levine with an abdomen injury. Full practice, Pernell McAfee, knee injury. Tyree Phillips, concussion. Patrick Ricard, knee injury. Matt Skura, back injury. And whoever welches with the foot. So, in my opinion, and let's go on defensive stats here. Actually, we'll do it in a minute. But, when they're missing Marcus Peters, and they're missing Jimmy Smith, let's just say they are. I don't know that Peters is playing this week. I don't know if Smith is playing this week. Doesn't that tell you to go after the secondary? Just going to leave that as a hint for later, and there's a reason why. So for the Giants, they're 31st in total yards, no surprise. 29th in passing yards, 16th in rushing yards, 31st in points. Now the defense, 12th in total yards, 21st in passing yards, rushing 16th, and 9th in points. Now you look at the Ravens' offense, which is highly, highly dependent on the running game. 21st in total yards, 31st in passing yards, 1st in rushing yards, 6th in points. Look at the defensive side. Ninth in total yards, 14th in passing yards, 10th in rushing yards, and 4th in points. So, let me alleviate to my point that I was pointing to earlier with kind of a cliffhanger. Three keys to win. Get something going on offense. I've been saying this for weeks. Everybody's been saying this for weeks. Whether they do it at this point is, you know, I don't even know if it does anything. If we win, it does something. But it has to be because of the offense. We haven't had an offensive win in how many weeks? Last time we had an offensive win was what? Against the Eagles? Because it surely didn't feel like we had an offensive win against the Bengals or against the Seahawks. Sure, we rushed for like over 100 yards on the ground against the Seahawks. Third best run defense. Doesn't really feel that like we had to depend on the offense or the offense was doing the greatest job in the world? No. So, get something going on offense. As I mentioned from the defensive side, they're stronger in the rushing game. But in the passing game, they're about middle of the pack. And once again, Jimmy Smith is not playing. Now, they still have Marlon Humphrey. If Jimmy Smith is not playing, and if Marcus Peters is not playing, you have to make a game plan, not just to do stick routes, not just to do some you know conservative bull crap to go downfield. Because if you adapt, possibly, in a better, you know, atmosphere, an environment, better execution. Freddie Kitchens last week, going downfield how many times? Probably better than Jason Garrett did the game before that. Even with Colt McCoy, translated to Daniel Jones. Do you think it can work? Possibly. Quite possibly. Now, with that, you must take in to effect that the Ravens are first in blitz percentage, 42.9% in the NFL. The Ravens' pressure percentage is 15th, so 22.8%. That probably shows that a lot of the quarterbacks get the ball out when they're blitzing, and I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but with the Ravens, again, blitz percentage is first, so a lot of teams know that they're coming and they're going to create a game plan 
for quick passes and short downfield passes where their wide receivers can get separation and they could get catches and they can move downfield. Just something to note. And also to note that they're 16th in sacks with 33. And also, you know what? Let's note this, everyone. They're first in missed tackles in the NFL. 127 missed tackles. Now, are they like this bad defense? No. Nobody talks about it because it's not really something that, you know, everybody focuses on. The headline would be bigger if the Ravens had a horrible defense. They have a middle of the pack. And this is not the Ravens from last year. Everybody knows that. But nobody's harping on, you know, oh my God, the Ravens are, you know, first to miss tackles in the NFL. Now, that could come from special teams a little bit, but I think this is more of a defensive thing. They're good on special teams as well, because you know what? John Harbaugh, he's a special teams coach. Before he got the head coaching job. So special teams has got to be good. And also note, Justin Tucker hasn't been, you know, himself this year. He's missed a couple of kicks. Number two, stop the run. That has to be probably the most evident. Maybe that gets to number one on some other people's keys to win. Maybe that is. But this offense has been draining for the last couple of weeks, and you don't have a chance against the Ravens if your offense doesn't do something. But going on number two, the pass percentage for the Ravens, 46%. Seems a little bit even than most would consider, right? Look at the last three games. 39%. That means 61% is running. Read option. Uh run plays up the middle, whatever they game plan, whatever they do with Lamar, because he's their lead rusher. He has more rushing yards than Wayne Gallman. And this is not a knock on Wayne. This tells you that this is a run-heavy offense. This tells you that Lamar is better in the run game than he is in the pass game. Because I don't know how many games that he's actually gone over 200 yards passing. Probably very little. This is how they win games, by the way. And we're sixth against the run. So, strength and a strength have to meet somewhere. Now, who's going to battle and who's going to win the battle of the strengths? We'll see. It's how the Giants come to play on Sunday. Number three, time of possession. This is a major key for a win. And the last two weeks, it's been very lopsided, favoring the opponent. From the four out of the five wins that we had this season, only one of them, one of those five wins, has the opponent actually had the upper hand in time of possession. That was the first Washington game we won. That was actually our first win. When we're trying to figure out, how do we win football games? Time of possession is key. It pretty much alleviates to everything. You keep the defense on the field longer for the Ravens. They start getting tired out. You drain clock. And that's just not, you know, oh, uh, you know, take so much time off the clock and drain the clock on your own territory. No, that goes downfield too. And it can't just be done with the running game. Because the Ravens are the first best run defense in the NFL. And if they're not the best, they have to be top five. And you can make these cases. 
oh, well, uh, the Giants, you know, they had over 100 rushing yards against Seattle Seahawks, the third best run defense. Well, you know what? The last two weeks, middle of the pack run defenses. And what have we done? Nothing. One rushing touchdown in the last two weeks. Probably averaging, I would say, around 60 yards per game on the ground. Because I think we had 50-something last game, and don't quote me on it, either 50-something last game, and I think 70-something against the Cardinals. So obviously, we've taken a drop-off. And I think everybody could tell that. Because in the last two weeks, you know, this is not competitive losses like we've seen against the Eagles, against the Cowboys, against other teams we lost to, against the Bucks. Even that was close. You could even make a case that the Steelers and the uh, Bears game, they looked decent. You know, they weren't winning those games, but they were competitive, at least at one point in the game. We were talking about the tail of two halves. The last two games, the Giants have taken a drop-off. It deals with time of possession. It deals with being competitive. And when your defense gets drained out, they're going to stay on the field longer, and you're going to have less time on offense, less time to do anything. And when there's no execution... There's no aggressiveness, and there's been aggressiveness in the last couple of weeks. You're not going to have any time to score points. That's one of the keys to this game. So let's go to the cornerback watch and just like end this off here. Here are the three available corners. Now, that could elevate somebody from the practice squad. I haven't checked their protections, but it's probably unlikely that one of those practice squad corners, if they have will probably play defensive snaps or a majority of defensive snaps. Now, if Jimmy Smith and Marcus Peters are out, here are the three corners. Tremont Williams, he's been a veteran. He's played as long as I can remember. Played for the Packers, played, I think, for the Chargers maybe. Played for a couple of teams. But he's not, you know, the key starter on the defense. No, he's not what he used to be. Marlon Humphrey, obviously, he's the number one corner, so you're going to have to watch for him, at least in this situation. And Anthony Everett. I haven't really done my research on him. I probably will, but it seems to me like he's the fifth corner. So they'll probably have to go to him if they need somebody in the slot or somebody on the outside. As I said, I haven't done my research, so I probably have to look up. Players to watch. Last subject of today's episode. Lamar Jackson. Do I have to say any more? I mean, really. So he's got 21 touchdowns, 8 interceptions. This is the passing game so far. 2,000. 461 yards, 29 sacks. That's the most he's been sacked in his career. And with this offensive line, they've been rotating in and out. Ronnie Stanley, if that's how you pronounce it, because I don't know if it's Staley or Stanley. I think it's Stanley. He's out for the entire season. Orlando Brown, he's been translated to the left tackle position. Tyree Phillips in and out. DJ Fluker in and out. This is all going back to probably when they all had COVID and the NFL decided to suck them off and say, okay, we're going to delay the game about three days. But nonetheless, this is an offensive line you should probably attack. I don't know where they are in terms of giving up sacks, but they're probably middle of the pack. This is not, again, this is not the Ravens defense. This is not the Ravens team period that, that was last year that we were talking about. Hey, they're going to make the Super Bowl this year seems like ever since that Titans lost, they've been pretty much a team that's over 500. But do they really deserve to be? I mean, you got to look at the schedule and determine that. But we'll see. 
As far as the run game goes, 135 rushes, 828 yards, 7 touchdowns, and 9 fumbles. Now, I don't know if some of those were lost, but if you could be physical on the defensive side, and we know this defense, especially the last two games with getting turnovers, which they haven't, if you take those two games out and you take the energy from the Seahawks game or any other game that we've you know deemed turnovers, you make Lamar Jackson fumble the football, you make him nervous, well, there you go. You make him turn over the football, and we get more time of possession. Now, here are the four games where the... Ravens have had over 100 rushing yards. Now, the way they do it is not necessarily, you know, I would say stat-wise going to throw at you. I mean, they've only had, what, four games over 100 rushing yards. The Giants have had more. But they've done it by committee, sort of. Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins, Gus Edwards, Lamar Jackson. So Lamar Jackson was their leading rusher over 100 rushing yards in Week 6. J.K. Dobbins was their lead rusher over 100 yards in Week 8 against the Steelers. Gus Edwards over 100 rushing yards in Week 13 against the Cowboys. And then the Monday night game, Lamar Jackson over 100 rushing yards. If I'm going to count correctly, that's 124 rushing yards on 9 friggin' carries. That's a lot. That's 13 per carry. Week 14 against the Browns. So, and let's also take note of this. Only two games this season where the Ravens receivers, or at least one of them, has had over 100 yards. Week 1 against the Browns, Marquise Brown, and Willie Sneed, Week 8 against the Steelers. So, that just shows you, and it's not like, you know, oh my god, they don't execute on offense in the past game. No, they just choose not to do it. Now, I'm not saying they would be, you know... Oh my God, the best passing offense in the league if they went to the pass more. No, they wouldn't because I'm pretty sure they know that their strength is the run game. So, just to notify on that. And listen, they have good receivers. They have decent receivers. Marquise Brown, Mark Andrews, Miles Boykin out of Notre Dame. But they don't pop out to me like a number one receiver would. DeAndre Hopkins. Um... Mike Evans, like those guys, they don't, you know, they don't pop out to me. I'm not saying, you know, ignore them, but I'm just saying, you know, just keep it, I would say, that you keep it in your head that they are very run heavy. At least expect that coming into Sunday. Marquise Brown, just what I was talking about. 49 receptions, 703 yards, 5 touchdowns, and 14.3 yards per reception. As I mentioned, he's only got one game over 100 receiving yards. That was against the Browns Week 1. Highest amount since then? 98, which was against Jacksonville last week. No touchdown. And, you know, one game he actually had three targets, no receptions. I was actually watching that game. And... They couldn't seem to find him there, but again, look for him, and for some reason, let's just say the running game doesn't work out, be prepared for them to move into the passing game, and if they lock down Marquise Brown with James Bradbury, look for those other receivers, Willie Sneed, Miles Boykin, Mark Andrews, and I don't think, just like coming off this expectation, this is my opinion, this is like my, I would say, feeling, my gut feeling, I don't think that they're going to be, you know, Every time in the passing game, they're going to be trailing Marquise Brown with with James Bradbury. I don't think they're going to do that. I think they're going to do what they did in week 6, week 7, week 9 a little bit, 
where James Bradbury was rotating off receivers and you have the second guy take the first guy on occasion. Like, I think you'll see some, you know, plays and snaps when they do pass the ball with Isaac Yadam on Marquise Brown. That's just my gut feeling. So for the next lead receiver on their team, Mark, Mark Andrews, the tight end, very good blocker, 48 receptions, 598 yards, 7 touchdowns, 12.5 per reception. Highest amount of receiving yards he's gotten this year was 96 and the loss to Tennessee. He had a touchdown that game, but 5 receptions, 96 yards, so he can be an impact. It depends what they choose and pick when it comes to the passing game. As I said, they're very run heavy. A thousand times I'm going to say that, but when they choose and select, you may have a receiver go over for 100 yards, whether it be Marquise Brown or whether it be Mark Andrews in close to 100 yards. Next one, Matt Judon. A lot of Giants fans wanted him in the offseason as a marquee pass rusher. Um, I think he had double-digit sacks last year, if not close to it. This year, he's sort of taken a drop-off. Now, I don't know his like snap percentages. It's really, I would say, fluctuated. If we're going to take a look now, he's played pretty much a lot of the snaps. And he only played 19% against the Steelers. Now, I don't know if that was due to injury or if that was due to something else. It didn't seem like it was due to injury because he played for the next week. But then again, I don't know. I have to do the research. But it seems like his stats have taken a drop-off. Now, let me read the uh, stats real quick. 41 tackles, 7 tackles for a loss, 5 sacks, 20 quarterback hits, 26 quarterback pressures, and 2 pass deflections. So, I mean, that seems like, I would say, usual, average for a rusher. But the 5 sacks, I thought he would have more. But again, blitz percentage is really high. So, that's where the pressures come in. That's where, you know... The quarterback hits come in. That's where the sacks come in. Multiple players. Kalias Campbell, he's another guy you should watch. And the last one. Talking about rushers. Talk about one Giants fans want. Yannick Ngakwe. And as far as quarterback hits go and sacks go, I feel like it's sort of dropped off when he came to the Baltimore Ravens. Now I'll take a look at the first. Let's go with five games in the season. He had four sacks. That compares a little bit similar to Carlos Dunlap, where in the first four games with the Seattle Seahawks in a new beginning and a new chapter in his career, he had three and a half sacks. So that's something to keep an eye on there, as we said a couple of weeks ago. But when he came to the Ravens, let's see how many games he's played with them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. Eight games and only counts for, let's see, three sacks. He's had multiple quarterback hits and Let's read the full stat line. 22 tackles, 7 tackles for a loss, 8 sacks, 25 quarterback pressures, 10 QB hits, and 4 forced fumbles. Now, I don't know if I'm setting the expectation too high. I just don't think that, I don't know. I'm just really not, you know, thinking that he's a Khalil Mack or he's this guy or that guy. I don't know. For some reason, I just don't feel like the production is there. But... At the same time, I will give you that I'm not watching every single snap of the Ravens game. So, there goes, you know, some research I do have to do. But, I don't know. It just seems like he had some sort of a drop-off with the Ravens. And, again, the Vikings had a pretty bad defense the first couple of weeks. Notable to their secondary where they drafted, like, three different corners. Or at least have had, you know, three different young rookie corners. Because Xavier Rhodes left... Jeff Gladney's there, Cameron Dantzler, and all those guys. 
and Neil Hunter out for the season. So you kind of have to look and say, well, Yannick was pretty much the number one guy. What was it? Four sacks in five games. When it comes to Ravens, in eight games, he's at three. But the analytics guys and the other guys who do the research and watch the film will probably tell something different. And I'm not saying don't listen to that because they know it better than I do. I'm going to be honest with you. But I'm just giving you my perspective based on the stats and just based on, you know, what I think Yannick Ngakwe is. So anyway, thank you guys for listening. If you're on YouTube, definitely check out my latest video uh, with the sushi eating and the fact that I ate crow and I actually had to eat sushi. Ew. Um, that was due to a bet I made with my brother. If the Cardinals won, I had to eat sushi. If the Giants won... He had to drink two cans of Pepsi, in which he does not like Pepsi. I don't like sushi. That was pretty horrible. I'm surprised they didn't throw up last night. Um, I'm very thankful for you guys on the holidays. It's all about giving and receiving as well. But giving, especially during 2020, it's been a very rough year. And luckily, I get to do a podcast episode, I think, one more before the new year. And that's going to be recapping the Ravens game. So we'll see what that brings. But I'm very thankful for you guys. I wish you guys a very Merry Christmas. Um, Obviously, I'll see you guys before the new year. But, you know, if you guys celebrate something different, happy holidays. You guys can find us at the podcast platforms below. I know on occasion that, you know, YouTube will screw up the video quality. Or when this comes out of OBS, the quality is not great. But you still see the logos. Find us on Spotify, Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, CastBox, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music. And for updates, tweets, views, that stuff, Instagram and Twitter. Thank you, guys. And we'll see you next week. Music.